0: You might remember, early in 2019, we asked you to help us make a house suitable for people who were going through crisis, a house that would give them perhaps a few weeks to transition to a solution. The house that you just saw in that news story is that house. That was the Heart of Life Transition House. And we don't care if our name is in the news story or not. What we care about is a little girl and her family who just went through something, I mean, how do you explain just minding your own business, being in your own house, and a truck drives into it? And suddenly, your little girl is in the hospital, and you're wondering, is she even going to walk again? And all those questions that surround, but I'm telling you, there is now a little eight-year-old girl that will forever know that even in the crazy moments of life, she doesn't have to wonder whether or not there's a God who cares because she now knows from the actions of God's people, He does. That is why we give of our resources. Do you know that? It is. And so, as we near the end of the year, I just want to talk to you about this for a second before we dig into the text today. We rely heavily on the resources that we take in this month. In fact, a lot of years, almost a quarter of our budget comes in, in the month of December. Some of you give all year long, and then even at the end, you do something more. And I just want to thank you for what you do, because I'm telling you, it makes a difference. But I also just wanna speak for a moment to to maybe those who don't do that regularly or, or maybe it's just something you've never done. Maybe it's just something you've always struggled with. My request is simply this, would you help us? And I don't mind asking you that because what we do matters. Not only for little girls like Lola, but I'm reminding you that it also matters for you because generosity affects your heart. Some of us want the blessing of the Jesus life. The problem is we don't live the Jesus life. And so I'm just reminding you today that generosity is a part of what Jesus life is all about. When he owns your heart to the extent that nothing else owns you, That's when the blessing comes of knowing that Jesus truly is more than everything else that we have. All right? So I'm saying thank you to those of you who do. I'm saying to those of you who never have, hey, will you help us take some steps? This is a big time of year for us, and I'm just thanking you in advance for what you're going to enable us to continue to be a part of stories like you just saw. Thank you, guys. Speaking of using resources for great reasons, how about a shout out today? And I've already heard you a little bit, so you're going to have to like kick this one up a bit, all right? How about a shout out today for the group of folks who have gathered for the first official gathering of the Heart of Life Lewisburg today. They're joining us by video in this message. Can we give a shout out for the first gathering of Heart of Life Lewisburg? We are so grateful for what God is using you to do together uh, as the group of people there. And I just encourage you to enjoy this day. There's been much prayer leading up to it. There's a whole lot of life we hope that follows, but enjoy this day. And speaking of enjoyment, to the Adrian campus, we're really glad that you guys are with us today too. I hope you're having a great day, and I so much enjoyed seeing many of you face-to-face on Wednesday night. Thank you for being here for that celebration, and uh, I'm looking forward to actually seeing you uh, again soon. Today. All of us together are in week seven of a series called Grace and Grit. Grace and Grit is a study of 2 Timothy, and today we have arrived at chapter four. The 2 Timothy is written from a prison, a Roman prison. It means probably Paul is about 20 feet in the ground, a hole in the ground that they would simply cover with a grate. Now, Paul has been faithfully living the mission of Jesus for more than 30 years at this point. And lots of times he's been near death. But this time, it's as if he knows. This is it. And the words that we're about to read, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, are the last words of Scripture ever penned by the Apostle Paul. I wonder what thoughts will occupy such precious territory. Here we go, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1. Let's look at it together. In the presence of God, And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge." I describe verse 1 as the charge before the charge. It's like, Paul, if you're about to give us a charge, what in the world was that, right? Because what Paul just gave us was this challenge to live life through a specific lens. You have an outline with you today. I, I encourage you to grab a pen or a pencil and let's fill in some blanks today because here's, here's really verse one, the challenge before the challenge. Live through the lens of the presence of Jesus. He says, I, I, I want in the, in the presence of Jesus, I, w- I want you to see those things. We are not alone, He is with us, His presence brings peace. That means in a whole lot of circumstances where we normally would fear, we don't have to fear. His presence, it brings a purpose. He calls us to be witnesses, and he says that he's with us always. But to know that he is present also means there's an accountability. (laughs) He knows. Which leads us to the second lens. He says, live through through the lens of the presence of Jesus and the judgment of Jesus. We will one day stand before the judge who sees everything that we ever did, has heard every word we've ever said, and knows every thought we ever had. Even for God's kids, to stand before that judge one day means there is an accounting And accounting for how we lived our lives. And he's saying, I want to make sure. I want to make sure that you're living through this lens, the lens of his presence, the lens of his judgment, and the lens of his return. He's going to appear. That word appearing was a word used in Paul's day to often describe a, a moment when the emperor would show up at a given town they would announce that the emperor was going to appear. And you can imagine what would happen in a town when when they knew such a thing was going to happen. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you know what a town does when the emperor is expected to show up? Well, I want you to live your life through the lens that the king of kings is coming back. Live through the lens of his presence, live through the lens of his judgment, through the lens of his return, and through the lens of the kingdom of Jesus. And when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it is often this picture of, it's Him reigning through the the hearts and the lives of His people. When we trust Him and we operate together, it is the kingdom of God. But the kingdom also refers to a very real eternal kingdom that will be established when Jesus returns, when all wrongs are made right. No more trucks driving into houses. He says, I want you to live with such a view. My point is, if you lived with that lens, would it not change how you use your time? Would it not change what you do with your money? Would it not change what your priorities are? You have a divine mission, live through this lens. And so, for Timothy, here's what that means, verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Timothy, be prepared. To be prepared, it, it, it is a word that's quickly associated with being ready. We would say a readiness. And so, I want you to see. Here's what Paul calls us to. I want you to live with a readiness of calling. Live with a readiness of your calling. Whatever the season, whether it's a season that's ridiculously fruitful or or it's a season that seems weary. Whether it's one that seems um, so much hope or, or it's one that you almost feel hopelessness. One where there's love or one where it's loneliness. He says, regardless of the season, I want you to be ready for your calling. You probably have heard Somebody pray somewhere along the line in church life, you know, God, will you give us more opportunities to share about you? Now, I'm not saying that's a terrible prayer. I'm not. But the longer I live and the more I read the Bible, I'm I'm not sure that we're really seeing that clearly, because the truth of the matter is, all of life is an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And I'm simply saying that maybe a little more accurate of a prayer would be something like, God, would you give us eyes to see the opportunities that are actually around us all day today? Not give me more. They already exist. But God, give me eyes to see what does exist. And God, give me a boldness to open my mouth when I see those opportunities. God, give me a trust that you will provide everything that I need to be on the mission that you've called me to. In order to be ready, you got to have God's Word. That's the context of chapter 4. We just came out of chapter 3 with some incredible statements about God's Word being God-breathed and and all that it can do. It's coming out of that context. How can we speak about what we are not thinking about if we're not in God's Word? How are we going to do that? If it's easier for me to roll off Patrick Mahomes stats to you, it's easier for me to tell you what the the best buys are of the holiday season, rather than to open my mouth and speak just as easily, just as freely, just as clearly about Jesus. What does that tell me about my heart? On Wednesday night, when we gathered together, I told you one of the things that we're going for in 2020 is a 2020 vision in the sense of if you want to see clearly you realize the clearest you'll ever see is when you open God's word and read it because he he is eternity past he is eternity future he sees all things when God writes right when he gives us his word it is 2020 vision that's where we want to be for the year 2020 and so i encourage you on wednesday to go ahead and download There's an app. I think we got it. There we go. It's called Read Scripture. That's complicated, isn't it? It's a little app. You look it up. It's called Read Scripture. There's the icon that that you're looking for. And when when you get a chance, I encourage you to go ahead and download it. Now, we're going to launch this together on January the 5th. That's the first Sunday of the new year. Together, we want to launch it on January the 5th. And every day, you'll be able to to just click on the app, and it'll give you a couple of chapters to read of God's Word. We're going in order from Genesis. It'll walk us through it. Each day, a couple of chapters plus a psalm to be able to to, to praise and to pray out out of that psalm. Every day, we want to get in the habit of of being fed by God's Word. If you're reading it every day, you're being equipped. You're going to be ready for whatever that day holds. Let's go back to verse 2. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. I'm calling that live with a readiness. Of competency, not just the readiness of your calling but a readiness of competency. Because what he's saying here is, will you improve in actually communicating, in actually speaking God's word? Now, Now that you're taking it in, it's one thing to be filled with the knowledge of what to say, but it's another thing to know how to say it. And when you hear those words of correcting and rebuking and encouraging, what does that sound like? That sounds like the very description that we got in chapter three of how God's word impacts our life. It corrects, it rebukes, it encourages. To correction is, is just to give evidence that something's right. To rebuke is to uh, be willing to address someone who's making some, some bad life choices that are opposed to that truth. And then to encourage is just to pull them along to say let's make right decisions that are according to the heart of God. A readiness of competency one more. Let's go back to verse two. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I call that live with a readiness of character. A readiness of calling, a readiness of competency, and a readiness of character. And here's what I mean by that. Just blasting God's word at people alone is not going to bring transformation in love. But when you do that with a patience, what I mean by that is a patience. I, I mean when there's just a heart that just, it's almost a, there it is, take it or leave it. That's not how we're called. That's not how we're called to see lives change. But, but what we're talking about here is when there is a long-suffering. That's, that's the word that's connected to patience here. When you're willing to do this for a long time, when you're willing to speak God's word into someone's life and they don't listen, will you do. And long-suffering means you're willing to sometimes listen to why they're not listening. You're willing to repeat the truth over and over again. You're willing to find new ways to express that same truth. Truth doesn't change, but how can you continue to express it into their life? Uh, A character that says, I'm not just blasting you with this, but I want my character to represent the love of this message that I'm sharing the truth with you, and I want to do it in the way that Jesus would do this. What happens if we don't? Check out verse 3. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul knows what we know if we stop and think about it. People left to themselves tend to only listen to what they want to listen to. They only hear what they want to hear. And Paul uses this term, itchy ears, to describe that. It's kind of a funny, funny kind of um, uh, metaphor, itchy itchy ears. I'm going to equate it to you this way. You know what it's like when you get like a bug bite, and that thing itches like crazy. So you get the bug bite, mosquito bite, whatever it is, and, and it itches like crazy, and nothing will calm this itch unless I scratch it. And, and so, I, I want to scratch the itch, and I scratch it, and I scratch it, and I scratch it, and I think this is what I need, because it itches. But in reality, if I keep doing this long enough, what happens? Yeah, it actually makes it worse to the point that, I mean, you could, you could actually, right, it could get infected. I mean, to just scratch the itch, and Paul is saying there are some itches that don't need to be scratched, Timothy Here's his point. I want you to live with a greater goal than pleasing people. Live with a greater goal than just pleasing people. Because people are going to want you to just tell them what they want to hear. They're going to want you to just say things to them that make them feel good. They, They want you to scratch and he's saying, Timothy, you've you, you got to live with a greater goal than pleasing people. Through your ministry, always present God's Word to help others develop a healthy relationship with God. That's what he's talking about when he uses the term sound teaching. Again, it's the context of chapter 3 and chapter 4. It's all about God's Word that, that you are taken in in order to give it out. Sound. Teaching means healthy. That's literally what the word means. And so, think of it in terms of just like you're supposed to eat good, healthy food to become physically healthy. We need good, healthy teaching, he says, of the truth in order for us to be healthy spiritually. It's not enough that it's just entertaining. That's like scratching the itch. Sometimes entertaining can just mean you're just giving them what they want to hear. He says, no, you need to promote good, healthy growth in their life, and that means you have to speak God's Word, what you know to be right. No, they're not going to remember everything that you speak to them about God's truth. Believe me. They're not going to remember everything you give them about God's truth. But isn't it also true that there's a lot of meals in your life that you've eaten that you don't remember? You remember some of them, right? Hopefully some of them recently were really good, holidays. But there are some days of your life, if we just called out a date and said, what'd you eat that day? You'd be like, I don't remember but the effect of you eating something every day that hopefully somewhere along the way in that day had some health to it, what did that mean? It kept you alive. And I encourage you to realize that God uses faithful, even though sometimes forgettable meals, from his word to nourish us. He does. It affects our life. I mean, I don't think you would be shocked to know that every once in a while, there's that part of my own heart that goes, does it really make a difference in what I'm teaching? Like, is this really doing anything in somebody's life, in somebody's heart? I mean, that shouldn't shock you, because come on, if you're a parent, you've thought that somewhere along the way, right? Is what I'm doing in trying to love my kids, is this really making a difference? Right? Or being a friend, or, or running a company right in a way that you think Jesus would do that. You're, you're trying to, to do those things, and you're going, is this doing anything? But he, I, I, I encourage you to, to realize, I am grateful for some parents that when I was growing up, they made sure that I was fed every day, even though I can't remember hardly any of those meals that they gave me. But the effect of their faithfulness in giving me food kept me alive. And you know what? You got to trust. You got to trust that you continuing to speak what is right, speak what is truth, speak it in love, but knowing that even though it may look like sometimes they're not listening to you, sometimes no difference is being made, sometimes they may not even remember what it was. There is a power of God's Word. There is the living power of the very Word of God that changes hearts. And so, he's like, Timothy, don't get off track. Don't get off track. Fulfill your ministry. And we all know that's not just a call for Timothy. That's a call for all of us who are Jesus followers, who we know we have not only been saved, but we've been equipped for some good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We have ministry. So here's a little application. Here's a little application. I wanna challenge you to discover your ministry. Discover your ministry. Now, I'm gonna admit something that I think the church has done, and I don't just mean ours, I mean the church. There have been times I think we make this so incredibly complicated. What is your ministry? And we will give courses and, and, and just just lines and lines and lines of instruction of how do you figure out what your ministry is and put people in a classroom. And th- There is a part where teaching needs to happen. We have to teach the truth of God's word about what he says regarding ministry. But sometimes I, I really am afraid we make this sound so complicated that people never actually engage it. I I want to instead today just encourage you to think about a couple of circles. It looks kind of like this, and it's just a couple of questions that are attached to those circles. One circle is what you bring. The other circle is what the world needs. And what I mean by what you bring is like... Your gifts and your skills and your abilities and your resources, the stuff that you would say you're, you're good at, maybe the stuff that you enjoy. But being good at something and enjoying something isn't enough, good intentions mean nothing if they're not applied. So not just what do you bring, but a question of what the, what the world needs. Like when you look at your family, What's broken? When you look at your job, where are they hurting? What, are, what pain are they in? When you look at your school, when you, when you look at your neighborhood, and the question is, can you step into those places, those spaces, knowing that God has given you what you have for a reason? and where what you bring begins to overlap with what the world needs, you've discovered some of your ministry. You've discovered some of your ministry. I I wanna encourage you to yes, learn everything you can from scripture about spiritual gifts, about how we can serve, but I also want you to consider taking a couple of circles, even this afternoon, and a few minutes of your time today, and just make some lists. What is it that God's given you that you bring? Skills, abilities, what you love to do. And then seriously, t- take a few minutes and just, even if it's just your family, where you work, go to school, your neighborhood, and go, what are some needs around me? and see if there's not already right in front of you some things that God has prepared you to do. But the application is not just discover your ministry, the application is to discover and then start your ministry. I, m- maybe you're not sure what you're good at. M- maybe you're not yet sure what needs are around you. I want to recommend then that you join somebody else who's already doing some ministry somewhere. Jump in with them, somebody who's helping their neighbor, somebody who's serving their community somehow, somebody who you know, who, who's already engaged, and even though you're not sure if those are exactly the things that, that, that you're most gifted in, if you don't know where to go first, I, I would encourage you to jump in and serve. You're not stuck there for the rest of your life. It may be one of those things where you go, wow, this is where my heart is. It may be one of those things where you go, you know what, this is, not, this is not what I'm supposed to do, I think, long-term. But either way, can I tell you it's a win? And the reason it's a win is because needs are being met in the name of Jesus and His power is at work through you doing what He's given you breath to do. It's a win. Discover, start, and then don't quit your ministry. Don't quit. That's the message to Timothy. You, you can't fulfill what you've quit. Now listen real careful to what, what I'm saying. There are times to move on. There are times to transition. But more often than not, for a lot of us, the great temptation is to quit before you finish. And a part of that is because the the way we measure effectiveness at times can be so flawed because we don't really see the full picture of what God's actually doing through us in that moment. I heard it described this way one time. Think of it this way. Imagine that you are an artist, okay? For some of you, that's not such a stretch. For some of us, that's a big stretch. But hey... We get to let's let's enjoy it. All right. So uh, we're an artist. And let's say that that y- that your skill is to to craft, to chisel. Let, let's say that, that you are like a, a stone mason, you know what I mean? Where you where you get the, the block of stone and you're just able to to carve from that stone something beautiful. And let's say that you're a part of making a great cathedral. Well, the architect has drawn up the plans. And he's passed those instructions along to teams of Masons, which stones need carving, in what way they need to be carved, and they distribute them to the teams. One Mason, you know, maybe is working on stone for a tower that's a part of the cathedral. Another one is carving delicate patterns. Another one is creating some statues that are going to be placed. Now, you know that there are other people working on this project. But at the same time, you're you're vaguely aware of what they're actually doing. And so when you finish the stones that you have been working on, you hand them over. Not necessarily knowing about where in the cathedral your work is even going to be placed. If you're working on a statue, you don't know yet exactly where that statue is going to be placed. If it's a decorative pattern, you don't know exactly where it's going. In fact, the truth is, you're not even sure if you will live long enough to see the building completed and where your work will be. But you do it. Because you trust the architect, and you trust that the work that you have done in following his instruction is not going to be wasted. We are not ourselves building the cathedral. We are building for the cathedral. We're not building the kingdom, we are building for the kingdom. We don't see the whole picture. We only see our little part of the picture and even that sometimes is so limited. But the truth is, when we trust that the architect is good, and when we trust that whatever part he has allowed us to play in this most magnificent picture, no piece is too small. No ministry is insignificant, because none of what we do exists in isolation. It is a part of something infinitely grander and more beautiful than we could ever imagine you are part so watch where paul goes here verse 6 for i'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near a drink offering in the old testament was something that literally would be poured out in worship when the sacrifices were being made for the sins of God's people. Paul uses this metaphor as a way to speak about his heart, the dedication that he has to Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. As Christ's very lifeblood was poured out, Paul's life was poured out to make the truth known to many." Let's keep reading. Verse 7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. How many of you have ever heard that before? Yeah. If you've been in church, it's, it's one of those passages, I mean, it sounds familiar to you, though even if you didn't grow up in church, but if you've been with us for the study of 2 Timothy. Because in chapter 2, Paul told us that if you want to be fit as, an, as a disciple, if you want to be fit as a follower of, of Jesus, what does that look like? It involves a focus of a soldier. Remember that? One commanding officer. It involves the integrity of an athlete. You do what's right, and you continue to do it what's right. You want to live by the heart of God, and then it involves the tenacity of a farmer. He gets up a lot of days not seeing the reward, but he just does the hard work each day. He perseveres. He stays with it, knowing that there is a day of harvest that is coming. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And Paul gets to his last words, and he says, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. In other words, what I'm challenging you to do, I am ready to go be with Jesus, because that's what I've done. Verse 8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. He says, you following Jesus. Are you fulfilling your ministry? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Paul's able to go, look, here I am, 20 foot foot down in in a hole in a a Roman prison. It, it, It may cost you everything. But this is what you need to know. If following Jesus costs you everything, it is worth it. If following Jesus costs you everything, it it is worth it. Timothy, I I know, Timothy, there are going to be people you pour into their lives, and they're going to leave you. You're going to try to equip them. You're going to try to build them up. And there are going to be people who betray you, Timothy. There are going to be people who walk out on you. Timothy, you're going to do everything you can in the power and the abilities that God's given you. And there are going to be times you're going to find yourself just spent. But there's coming a day. And the day that he refers to is the day that Paul knows he gets to see Jesus face to face. And his point is, on that day, every sacrifice, every ounce of sweat or tears or blood or love that you poured out, it will be worth it. Throughout the New Testament, there are several mentions of different kinds of crowns. Paul makes mention of a crown here. And almost all of them are positive except one. There's a crown of glory, for example, that Peter talks about. He says the crown of glory is for those who lead faithfully. No matter what they go through, no matter what they have to endure, those who lead God's church faithfully, those who lead people, he said that there's a, there's a crown of glory. He mentions a crown of life for those who, who endure suffering, but for their faith. They, they stay strong. In this passage, it's a crown of righteousness for, for every person who, who loves Jesus and, and their life reflects it that they, they live in light of His appearing. They live through the lens. Jesus is coming back. They long for His return and their decisions, their priorities. The, the, the evidence is this is real with them. There's only one crown in Scripture that's negative. It looks like this, John chapter 19, verse 5, then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, behold the man. The only negative crown that I know of in Scripture throughout the entire Bible is the crown of thorns that Jesus wore for me, for you. And Pilate's verdict when he sees this sight is, behold the man. That's an interesting phrase, because it's not the only place that we see it in Scripture. The Bible tells us that God created the world and everything in it. He fashions Adam and Eve, breathes life into them, and places them in a a most beautiful garden to to flourish and to cultivate what God has made. But a choice is made, and it's the same choice that I made that, that you made. It is the choice that goes like this, you know what, God? I'm going to do this my way. God, thanks for this life, but but I'm going to live it apart from you in the sense of, on this matter, God, I'm doing it my way. And on this matter, God, I'm doing it my way. And as a result, the Bible says, sin entered the world and with it came death. With it came a curse that was pronounced over the whole world and from the ground, grew thorns. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold the man. It's the only other place I know of in Scripture where it's located. Behold the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever." Now it's kind of hard to tell in English, but I'm I'm telling you what's, what's going on here. In the Hebrew language, that verse is an incomplete thought. It's as though God starts to say something, and then the language is he stops it is as though as god himself father son holy spirit he is he is he is thinking about humanity eating from the tree of life and if he does so he's going to live forever in his sin and god doesn't finish the sentence. It's as though the thought of you and I having to live forever in our sin, he doesn't finish the sentence. Oh, but he did finish the sentence. Because the truth is, although you and I, just like Adam and Eve, we, we grasp this like to be God. I, I, I so often grasp, I want to be God. We read in the scriptures of one whose name is Jesus, who was willing actually to loosen his grip in order that he might become like one of us. And when he stretched out his hands, he stretched them out to die, wearing for us a crown of thorns, bearing for us the curse that was brought because of our sin, in order for him to become for us the tree from which we might find life. Our crown of thorns became His so that His crown of righteousness might become ours. I'm going to say that again. Our crown of thorns became His so that His crown of righteousness could become ours. And what should be our response? Well, the Scripture actually gives it. In the book of Revelation, we are given the picture one day with all the living creatures and all the elders and every inch of creation. This is what will happen. We will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And and we will cast our crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Behold, the man... No, come on church, behold the king of kings, hallelujah. What a savior, what a savior. He deserves all my life. And from a 20-foot hole in the ground. Paul knows it's just moments, maybe hours, maybe a few days. He's going to see that king face to face. He was ready. And unapologetically today, I'm asking you the question Are you? Are you? In light of what we have heard from God's Word today, what do we need to ask from God?